0: The Social Dilemma is a documentary currently available on Netflix. So if you haven't watched it, you may want to give it a watch and then listen to this podcast.
1: Just before we really do start, I like the Jet shirt, Georgie. Good good commitment.
2: You know who this shirt is? It's no. uh, Wayne Jackson. So when Les <laughs> and I went to Donovan's 50th. Wayne, the day before, said, oh, so did you get us a hotel room? And I went, no, I didn't get us a hotel room Less of we were staying together. <laughs> Les refused to have Wayne sleep with him. So Wayne slept with me for three nights, including the 45 minutes before you had to get up to go <laughs> to the airport. <laughs> so... As he was leaving and going, I actually went through his stuff and I took because he wore this shirt and, he, and I took it because the fucker is so cheap that he couldn't get his own hotel. So this is Wayne Jackson. This is your
3: payment. I love it.
0: I feel like even though none of us were really hyped about this as a topic, I feel like we got into a good debate yeah, no.
1: there. It'll be a bit of work separating yeah. out the talking over each other, but that's okay. Yeah, that's not sure. hard.
0: That's your problem, Bruce. Come on. That's why yeah, you can pay the big bucks exactly. as the producer. Makes it fun for you. <laughs> exactly.
2: To my point to Les, I don't give a shit if it's hard. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. I don't care.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I told the family to eat it without me. So social media, again,
1: is destroying my family. George, yeah,
0: this again. isn't social media. This is work for you. Okay? <laughs> yes, Take this exactly. seriously.
1: This is a paid gig. We all talked about not telling them. <laughs>
0: George, you got to call producer Mike after
1: this and have the, have the chat. About our sponsorship dollars. I meant to lead with I didn't like it I found it boring but yeah anyway my favorite
3: part of this recording
1: was how many
3: times Les said I absolutely hated the documentary like (laughs) (laughs) three or four times and then he said then he he was about to say something about it and then said I don't want to be a spoiler uh, spoiler alert here
0: yeah I don't want to be a spoiler (laughs) alert you should go watch the documentary I hated it (laughs) you know the stupid little family scenario film they had running in the background right oh that was dumb does anybody want to tell me why the, the mother and the son were clearly the same age? Like the actor and the actress looked like the same age and she was supposed to be his mother. I'm like, everything about that I hated.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think they put it in so that uh, teens and tweens could, could see that. Because I think that's the only thing that was interesting for Zara, that to follow that character and yeah. how he was going to ask that girl out. But then he got, you know, the, the three hymns behind him were like trying to get him yeah. addicted off-topic. So I think yeah, they, yeah. that was the showmanship of that you know, documentary. Yeah.
0: And from, from that standpoint, for making it more... Relatable. Yeah, relatable for your daughter, then that was a fantastic ploy. Yeah. Because it does have an important message. I'm sure that was important for you to watch with your kids. For
1: sure, that addiction part is important. It's November 2020. This is episode 38. What are we calling this one? Social media.
0: Slow day, I'm
2: hoping for a slow day.
1: Here's the disclaimer. There are some curse words. They're not beeped. It's too much work. And at times, we may be mildly offensive. It's not aimed at you, it's just who we are. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez.
2: And by the way, we forgot to check in that I turned fucking 50 a month ago, you bastards. people 20 or below they have no chance of doing that they don't have my insight they don't have my strength or my goddamn stubbornness to stop it so overall i actually think it's bad
1: ceo leslie Hanson.
0: so i think we need to set aside that Righteous indignation of, oh, these guys at Facebook, they actually made it to addict me to using Facebook. Well, no fucking kidding. They wanted to addict you to using Facebook because then they could sell the ads for more money. That's just the way the
1: world works. Leadership expert Stephen groot
3: Are you kidding? You They've got algorithms to pinpoint when someone shits in the Middle East. You don't think they can build an algorithm to detect whether some facts are true or not? Like, I don't think it's whether it's got away on them, Bruce. I think it's whether they want to do something about it.
1: And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. Your dad or your grandfather was saying, oh my God, this TV's on all the time. It's all he ever does. It's garbage. Even when he's supposed to be doing dishes, he's watching TV. And how are we ever going to curb this? We all rolled through the social dilemma, the Netflix special, and I think it got Georgie thinking more than the rest of us, but made us think that it was definitely something that we should be chatting about. We usually start with a check-in, but in lieu of the check-in, because still in COVID times, it's just the same. I think I could do everybody's check-in for them if I really had to. Yep. Yeah. We're we're just going to skip over that. Some of us have been rolling the screen time thing on our iPhone that keeps track of sort of what you do I threw out a challenge about 4 or 5 days ago to turn it on and just start to track what our social media habits are are really like. Stevie I think you didn't get it done in time so you got to just take some guesses at at what your life actually looks like. I'll bring up the rear once you go around. Yeah you threw it out there so you can go first. Um, I said that and now I can't find it. Hang on. So maybe while you're
2: finding it, I could get some introductory remarks on why I wanted to talk about this. For those who haven't watched The Social Dilemma, I think it's worth watching. Some of it you won't like, but it's certainly provocative. And in fact, I I made my children watch it with me. My daughter is certainly in the peak of her use. And my son doesn't have a phone yet. So it was worth watching and it was kind of torturous for them. But there's sort of two things that struck me. That great quote where they say only drug users and social media referred to their clients as users. I think that's a great line. <laughs> uh, pretty and good. then number two, everybody to a person that's being interviewed all said what we thought this was turned into something that it wasn't. And, and they all had pretty strong feelings that these platforms were gonna do a great amount of good, and they have, but they were all very reticent, and some of them were just outright scared So those are the two things that struck me with just what's informing this discussion.
1: I love it. That's a perfect intro. I went on screen time and then I clicked the little see more tab. So my daily average is an hour and 36 minutes over the past week. That's 56% down from the week before.
0: Because you knew you were going to have
1: to confess to it on this podcast today. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've done everything I possibly could to stay off my phone. It is down a little bit from what it normally is, but mine bounces around a lot. I'll have a, a week where I'm, you know, up around three or three and a half hours. And then lots of these weeks that are an hour and a half. And then I scroll down just a little bit. Here's what my most used are. My top five are messages. So my, my messaging app, iMessage. Then I have 17 minutes of Zoom, which is this call right now. Music is the third most one I use and OneDrive I have to go all the way down to number seven to get to Facebook. And then Snapchat is below that. Les, okay. I think you turned yours on about four or five days ago. You're up. Yep.
0: I did. I'd never actually, I mean, I knew this was aware was here. Cause I've heard people talk about it, but I'd never turned mine on. And so I've got a week worth of tracking data. Bruce, I absolutely crush you. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's a good or a bad thing, but uh, I absolutely crush you. My last week's average. Was four hours and 40 minutes. That's pretty good. Yep. It is by far in a way my most used app is Twitter, followed by messages, then mail, then WhatsApp, and then Safari. WhatsApp I actually don't use very often. I think I had a phone call to somebody overseas this week, which probably skewed that one. Twitter, by far, is my most used screen time. I guess it's in the category of social media. I don't use it as social media because I don't actually tweet. I have an anonymous account and I never tweet or communicate with anybody on Twitter. I simply use it as a news feed to scroll through things and click on them to read. That's a lot of time looking at my phone, obviously, last week. No wonder I'm starting to need glasses again. (laughs) Les
2: and I are remarkably similar. I'm four hours and 50 minutes. Mine varies greatly because when I'm at work, I don't use my phone very much. I don't yeah. physically don't carry my phone with me so people can't interrupt me. Most of my time is messaging people. And then it's followed by Facebook, mostly because I follow lots of sports people and certain celebrities on Facebook rather than Twitter. So I like watching videos. And then it's news and calendar. That's what sort of rounds me out. This is probably falsely low. I've actually been actively tracking my time. And I just upgraded my internet to this Wave thing, where it actually tracks every device, the minutes that are used, so I can tell what every device that's connected ever, every day is, so that I limit Zara's internet time.
0: This is in your home?
2: Yeah, this is my home network. It's called Blue Wave by Shaw. Mm -hmm. We can see how much TV we watch, how much she's on the internet. It actually shuts her down when she reaches her limit, and the limits are different on weekdays versus weekends. I look at me and it actually says, George, you're coming up to two hours and 50 minutes, which is 10 minutes left that you give yourself on your home network, three hours. <laughs> so I think this is probably low uh, for me and I've been making a conscious decision to use it less, even though it's obviously an amazing tool.
3: Is it gonna shut down halfway through this call, George? Are you just gonna disappear? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like, uh, hopefully sorry. not. Sorry, uh, that, would be, that would
3: be ironic. You've <laughs> exceeded your time.
1: Pew. That would be hilarious. Stevie, you don't have the app, but
3: give us a guess. Looking at my apps, Mail would be the first one, and then Safari and News, and then Music would be the third one. I don't do a lot of social media just because I find it too time-consuming, so I usually know what I'm looking for. I don't have time to kind of scroll and, and see what's up to read. I don't have a lot of downtime. I didn't turn it on until we just started today. So I'm interested to see how much screen time I'm on. Like if I've got downtime, I read or I write. If I go out for a walk in an hour, I'll have sent out 35 to 40 messages or I use it on (laughs) long drives as well. I message voice to text all the time. Uh, Some people even know me as, oh, hey, Steve, I got a text from you today asking me how I'm doing. You must be driving. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what my screen, t- screen time is for sure.
1: You got to answer the question. There's no down the middle on this one, Steve. It's in or out. Social media, more harm than good. I'll start yeah. us off and I'll say I think it is more good than harm to the, to the universe, even though there's lots of crazy stuff that comes out of it. You? For adults, I think it's great.
3: I think for teenagers it's terrible so i'm sorry i always go down find some middle brutal (laughs) overall then yes overall i would say it's probably more good but man there's some freaking evils how's that bruce
1: that's all right that's fair that you still tried to split the uprights but i'll take it lester
0: i'm going to vote on the side that social media is more good than bad yeah as with all forms of communication it can be used for evil As with all forms of technology, it's an advancement on what became or what came before it. Sometimes we, with technology advances, we see the good first and ignore the possibility of the bad. And then we wake up to the bad and go, oh, shit. And I think that's what we're experiencing now with social media. We had a bunch of back and forth before we decided to use this as a topic. I know there was some pushback. George watched this, was really interested in it. I said I hated it when I watched it after some persuasion from the group, I agreed to watch it again. So I did. I I actually sat down and watched it a second time. I had a bunch of thoughts the second time. The first thought I had was I probably still hated it in general, the documentary. I think I'm a little bit jaded maybe because I've worked for 25 years in technology. So the first 40 minutes or so when it's all... Developers and program managers for Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, former employees of all the big social media companies, being overly dramatic about how only they were smart enough to create these apps and now only they will be smart enough to save the world from the evil of these apps. I found it kind of ridiculous. And that may have jaded me on it a little bit. I also realized in watching it that I think I fell asleep at the end the first time, so I missed what I think is the, sort of like the meat of the issue, which comes, I think, in the last half hour. And that's when it gets into some of the more interesting ethical questions about who's responsible, whose responsibility it's going to be to contain and correct some of the damage that social media is accelerating right now. I think that falls into a couple of categories. I can understand, George, why this was poignant to you. I can understand why you want to sit down and watch it with your teenage daughter, because that part, when they talk about addiction in young people, addiction in preteen and teen girls, and the negative effects that that has from a sociology standpoint, is very frightening. And as a parent, I respect your concern, and I think that's gotta be a big part of, of parenting. But I also think that if social media wasn't here in this form, you would have that fear and you'd be doing that concerned parenting over something else because I think that's just who we are as people and as, as parents. You know, they spend a lot of time talking about the proliferation of fake news and what that means to society. I think that's an interesting conversation, especially because we're coming into what will quite possibly be the most important election of our lifetime, even though we're not voting in it and it's not even in Canada. This election in the U.S. in a couple of days is going to be as impactful on our lives as anything we've lived through, potentially. And the insane amount of, I don't like using the term fake news, but the the insane amount of disinformation that has proliferated across social media has had an impact and we've seen it weaponized by call them nefarious actors around the world to interfere with elections in, in many, many countries. And the impact that that has on society, I think, is pretty scary. You can disassociate that from the technology of social media and say that that is a sociological... Am I using that term correctly, Steve? I'm not even sure. That's a social issue. How we intake information and decide what to do with that information and decide how we're going to make decisions is independent from the way we got that information. So. The internet, not just social media, but the internet has accelerated the amount of information that can come in front of our eyes very quickly. It does for me. I mean, holy shit, yesterday I spent two hours and 47 minutes looking at Twitter. And when I look at Twitter, I'm basically just reading news headlines. (laughs) Usually while I'm doing something else, I'm watching TV, I'm talking to one of you guys, I'm constantly scrolling through, doom scrolling as some people have called it looking at updated polling numbers and financial impact and stuff like that and so i think those things are pretty interesting to talk about i'm not sure what the answer is the way they pen it at the end of the documentary on whether or not it's the responsibility of the guys you know george you pointed out that these early developers all look responsible and remorseful and frightened of what they've built i don't know i'm interested in what you guys think as to who's responsible for cleaning this up? Who's responsible for stopping it? If social media accelerates the amount of bullshit that is put in front of your eyes and in front of your ears, who's responsible for making sure that you are able to filter that bullshit properly? That was a long ramble, but I'll let you guys talk for the rest of the hour.
1: (laughs) And you didn't answer the question. (laughs) No, I did. (laughs) Well, you did in the beginning. He did. I he did, he did at did. the
0: very beginning. I said social media is more good than bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry.
0: <laughs> In fact, Bruce, I answered it first because I knew I was going to go into a long rambly rant and I wanted Bruce to get fell the answer away.
1: Bruce fell asleep. He missed He's <laughs> like...
0: It was so long ago you forgot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm queuing up the uh, elevator music right now. Yeah, I was going to say, someone's going to get hit with the elevator music. <laughs> <laughs> when we're talking about social media, is Text messaging in or out? Because no, I think it's out. Yeah. To me, to me, we're talking about Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Out. Yep. I don't know, whatever else you got. But mess- messaging's out. Okay. Georgie, more good or more harm?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say it's more harmful for all the points that Les has already stated. So maybe I'll emphasize some of the things that struck me. One is, of course, I've got younger children than all of you. So they, even Steve's and your kids grew so they've had some time, a short period of time without it. There's a whole bunch of young adults and kids who have never not known this reality. And so when we're making opinions about how we separate bullshit, you know, corn from the husk, they're not equipped to do that because they don't have a different baseline. To me, it's like an arm wrestle with social media, but everybody's been in an arm wrestle. And when you're halfway, you have a chance to win. When you're here, you have a chance to come all the way back. What are the odds on Lincoln Hawks, Chris? 20 to 1, pal. it be a long shot.
1: Hawks, Let's go. The world meets nobody halfway. Remember that. I don't have a father, sir.
0: The world has always bet against Lincoln Hawks. This guy's
3: nothing. Why'd you leave us?
0: It won't happen again. What my grandson found, it. I don't okay. care how you do it, do it. But a winner never listens to the odds.
2: Whatever happens, I want you to stay with him.
3: Yeah! where do we end up? Together
1: is all I can guarantee.
0: You ain't got a prayer in Vegas. <laughs> You never had anything, so you have nothing to lose. All I want to do is hurt him,
2: cripple him, get him off the table. All I care about is you. You're my boy, you
3: understand?
0: You won't nobody halfway. Now is the time to do for yourself. I I want you. Over the top, Dad, over the top. Sylvester Stallone, Over the Top.
2: But when you have your arm all the way down and almost to, to touch the ground, you can't come all the way back. And that's what I feel social media is, and to use Les's as words, it's no longer a tool. In fact, it's a weapon. We are getting inundated. We're like drinking from a fire hose. I don't think the average person, and certainly not anybody under 20 years of age, has the tools. I don't even have the tools. <laughs> to figure out how i can filter this for my kids other than i need to inform them tell them all about all the bad things i'm struck by how instagram in particular is basically a completely new form of language for my daughter she gets all of her info like all of her information of what's going on in every social circle including non-social circles gossip truth fake lies from this. I'm looking at her feed in Instagram and I'm shocked by the amount of information and time she spends feeding into that. And let's said it right, it's a disinformation age. There is so much stuff out there that I think we're getting to a tipping point. I think the mountain is too high. I don't think the people that didn't live without this tool are not going to be able to dissociate themselves. That's my worry is that there's gonna be a whole bunch of people that have never known different, so they have no baseline to compare it. They don't have a thermometer. They, they, can't, they don't have a temperature check of what's mm-hmm. going on. And even less admitted to him, he goes through Twitter and is getting constant, superficial, non-in-depth pieces of information constantly, 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 constantly. Even his brain will have a difficult time uh, filtering it while he multitasks his entire life and i find myself doing that too i physically have to put my phone away to watch tv with, with my kids because i want to check it that's my addiction i want to get that hit that they talk about in this yeah. this netflix special and i literally take it and put it in another room and i'm an adult yeah. And by the way, we forgot to check in that I turned fucking 50 a month ago, you
1: bastards.
2: (laughs) I'm 50 years old and I have to be conscious of this. I'm aware and I make an effort. People 20 or below, they have no chance of doing that. They don't have my insight. They don't have my strength or my goddamn stubbornness to stop it. So overall, I actually think it's bad.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, you sound like an old man right now.
2: Yeah, I am a fucking (laughs) old man. (laughs) You almost lost it. If
3: you would have shook your fist, I would have been scared. I would have been, oh my gosh.
2: I think it's amazing. I think Google is spectacular. I think social media and what it's done, even informing my patients that come in to see me, they say, hey, I've read about this. Like The ability for people to acquire information is actually unbelievable. It's leveled the playing field for many people. I think it's great. I don't think that anymore. I think they actually come to me with worse information than they could have got five years ago, 12 months ago. And in the future, they're even going to get worse information. And COVID is a great example of it. The amount of terrible information that is out there. And people, carte blanche, believe it. It's insane. So bad. I go bad. I think it's worse than it is good.
3: And he's 50. And he's fifty. 50 years old.
0: That's awesome, George. Thank you for taking the opposite side of the argument here so we can have a good debate about it now.
1: I got two things for you, Georgie. First of all, I'd be curious to hear a rant from somebody when newspapers first started getting published and everybody could make their own newspaper and it could be your point of view and you walk down the street in some big town and every newspaper you picked up, you didn't know if that was true or fake or or what. Sometimes I liken the information on the internet to that. I know that you're getting it from a fire hose and that was dripping out (laughs) out of a bucket. To me, they're similar to that. And then same thing when television first came on. I feel like your dad or your grandfather was saying, oh my God, this TV's on all the time. It's all he ever does. It's garbage. Even when he's supposed to be doing dishes, he's fucking watching mm-hmm. TV. And how are we ever going to curb this? So to me, it's one of these technologies. Not that I'm not scared that there's a, an awful social impact on my kids and on us and on society. But to me, it feels just like another technology that we got to learn about. You're right.
0: If you think about this from a, from a generational standpoint, our parents grew up without television. We were the first generation that would have grown up our entire lives, not knowing life without television. That made us a distinctly different generation from a psychological and sociological standpoint than our parents. Mm -hmm. Then you get to millennials, the first generation of people who grew up never living without the internet. Their entire psychological and sociological makeup is different than ours. So When our dads would go, you kids watch too much TV, get the hell outside and play. This is crazy. Why would you watch too much TV? That's the same as us saying, you kids, well, they weren't kids. Millennials aren't our kids, right? But you kids get off the internet. You're spending too much time online. It's the same concept. You don't Mm -hmm. really understand what's coming in front of you. So I think there's some of that that flows back to George's statement too, because I understand what you're saying about... At your age, you even have trouble filtering disinformation that comes in front of you. So how can a kid possibly not have the tools to do that? I think a lot of, of sociologists would say, actually, the opposite is true. The generation that's going to grow up having had this from the time they were old enough to intake information, from day one, they were bombarded by this. Would they get to 50... When they get to the age you are now, their brains and their ability to do that is going to be so different than ours is now. It's going to be another leap forward sort of in human evolution and they're they're going to be different. I'm not downplaying how important it is for you as a parent to try to throttle things right now and be protective of your daughter. I think that your daughter probably very soon is going to be better at filtering bullshit out of online media than we are. Yeah. I think we're talking about
3: two different things. Yeah. We're talking about the advances of, uh, of innovation and technology and the morality that streams within it. Our brains are going to adapt. This is a new functionality. This is a new technology, but I think it's what's coming through on this technology and at the cadence and the speed by which it comes through. And I don't mm-hmm. think kids should be educated by Instagram or by Facebook or by Nike. I think that's the problem. Kids are spending more time with strangers with different character and different values that the family has, and they're spending less time with family. Mm -hmm. The same way it was when the newspaper came out, when the television came out, when the telephone came out, was families sitting around and talking to our children about the experience they were having with that. And I think what's changed now is two big things that are speeding extremely fast in two different directions. One is that children and young adults who are very... I would say, susceptible to, to being encouraged in different ways, are spending less time with their family, with consistent relationships, strong relationships, and the kind of values, at the same time that they're spending more time with things that are in the opposite of that. That's a huge problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's got the primary role? I think you're saying parents, but should there be a government regulation? Should companies have some responsibility in regulating what's coming out and how it's getting to people or is that a is this a just a family discussion
3: well yeah when you have you know borderline conspiracy theories being endorsed by facebook and twitter where there is a clear line absolutely freaking yeah mm-hmm. you know there are some gray areas that's not a gray area <laughs> when they're promoting <laughs> facts that are not facts but because somebody paid for them they're promoting them i mean there's some pretty clear lines let's get to the gray first and then discuss whether you know they should be involved. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we often refer to Facebook as a crime scene over the last couple of years with everything that's been going on and that they actually are endorsing mm-hmm. hate groups. The far right, the far left doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. That stuff needs to stop because it is definitely not helpful. There's not one argument, yeah. freedom of speech or whatever you want to fucking throw in there, bullshit. It is not freedom. It is not freedom at all.
1: I think we all sort of believe that they've given up on that making money's more important than being moral basically is is kind of what came out of that documentary but is part of this just that they can't keep up they've created a monster and they they can't regulate all of those people cuz their platform mm-hmm. is just too huge or are they really turning a blind are eye you, you Are you getting the,
3: they can, they've got algorithms to pinpoint when someone shits in the middle east <laughs> <laughs> You don't think they can build an algorithm to detect whether some facts are true or not? Like, I don't think it's whether it's got away on them, Bruce. I think it's whether they want to do something about it. Mm.
1: That's th-
3: right. That's it.
1: And they don't because of the money?
3: Yeah, it's the money. It, follow the money, man. Follow the frickin' money.
2: Steve has hit on a couple of important points. These social media are creating falsehoods. There's false intimacy. There's false brittle popularity. And those things shatter. I think he hits a very important point. Social media is actually the opposite of a relationship. There's nothing in social media interactions that equate to anything that anybody in this form would consider intimate, real, lasting. I mean, we've known each other for over 40 years and people say, well, how can you guys still be friends after all this time? And my answer is always the same. I have literally spent thousands of hours with these guys doing nothing, being bored with them, just physically in their presence, crying, laughing, drinking, hammered, whatever. We've spent so much time together, that bond is, I mean, it's unbreakable. It's the opposite. So there, there's a falsehood associated with social media. To Steve's point, they're competing for your attention, and that attention sells dollars. So I think follow the money is correct. The US government, I guess, has tried, to regulate this and there's a lot of first amendment people with that freedom of speech bruce to your point and it's kind of what i said before with that arm wrestle it does get to a point where you can't win you can't that you cannot come back when you're all the way over and your knuckle is an inch away from losing
3: well then you didn't see stallone in over the top because i believe he comes back i think he does (laughs)
2: Even he did, even he was three quarters. And I think this is a monster that cannot be regulated. That's my fear is I think it's gotten to a point where it's just bubbling over. It's like the wildfires in California. Eventually they give up. They say this cannot be controlled. It's going to burn itself out. One last point. We have not evolved for this. So when Les brings up the fact that my daughter is going to be better than me, I actually completely disagree. You know, we're not viruses. We don't multiply a gazillion times a day so that we can adapt quickly. The change in the pace of social media has not in any way been in the same plane of our interaction. So it's just flipped on its side. It's a straight up line. And we in humans are still flat. We're still kind of acting the same way we have for hundreds of years. Like there's no real change in the way that we love, the way that we have relationships. So I actually don't think our kids will be better prepared because they haven't been evolved uh, for this. It's just too fast. It's outstripped our ability to
1: adapt. That's a, that's a heavy point. That was a heavy point. When you bring up our relationships, George, and our 40 years together, I don't disagree with that, but I would be curious to know that kids who've spent hundreds of hours with each other virtually might feel the same way. And I mean, I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's just, that's their new normal, right? And in ten years, they're going to say, "We were on Snapchat together for hours and hours every night, and you were the first person I saw when I woke up, and we have that relationship." And that's, yeah, but Bruce, you know, that's meaningful to me. I, I don't like it, but I'm saying it could be you true. You can't bury a dead body virtually. Come on, let's just call. You just can't. You can't get in a van. <laughs> it's so much harder.
0: Actually, Steve, that's not that's not true at all. You can bury a lot of things virtually. <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, in today's day and age, probably more secrets are buried virtually than using the old fashioned shovel yeah, that we kept yeah. in the back of your car. What? Did I say that out loud?
3: <laughs> Do you know where I could download some virtual lime?
0: <laughs> I'm going to try to come back. I think you guys all made really interesting points. I'm not going to refute anything that you said because I think all of your points were valid. I didn't thoroughly enjoy this documentary and don't, didn't, didn't bond with it. Is I think there's a lot of different themes going on in this documentary that are important enough that they need to be dissected because they're actually quite different. George, you're very much focusing on the aspects of socialization through social media, which I think is very important and different potentially than disinformation campaigns affecting election outcomes. Two really important issues, but two things that we could speak about quite differently. The documentary starts off talking a lot about social media addiction, and talking about who's responsible for it. So when we talk about who's going to clean up this mess and, you know, follow the money, is it back? Do we need to put it back on these tech companies to fix things? I think you need to split this into two, for simplicity, let's split it into two piles, right? The first being whether they intentionally created these apps to addict people and the second being whether they're responsible for the information and the misinformation that gets projected out upon them, because I think they're very different. First of all, and maybe this is what I found most annoying of the first half hour or so of this documentary, every piece of software that has ever been written has been written with the intent of addicting someone to using it. If you don't realize (laughs) that by now, I shouldn't be condescending. Maybe you don't spend a lot of time thinking about technology, but think about it. That's the way it works. Television puts on crappy, valueless shows late at night because people who are tired, their eyes will just train on them and they'll watch them for fucking hours and then they can sell ad space in them. It's been doing it for years. Video games were built to make you addicted and make you play them as long as you possibly can. Even, you know, what I spend most of my career in Software products that are used within an office environment, you intentionally make them as sticky as possible to keep eyeballs on your product for as long as possible. That's just the name of the game. So I think we need to set aside that whole sort of righteous indignation of, oh, these guys at Facebook, they actually made it to addict me to using Facebook. Well, no fucking kidding. They wanted to addict you to using Facebook because then they could (laughs) sell the ads for more money. That's just the way the world works. Like You have to accept that as a given. Now, Steve made some interesting points about who is responsible for the disinformation campaigns and the fake news that gets spread across these platforms. That, I think, is a a more interesting question and a much more difficult question to answer. Last week, they had... Zuckerberg and uh, what's his name, the CEO of Twitter, they dragged them in front of a congressional hearing again and made them testify again because they're so up in arms about how to control this. I don't think that that is an issue that's attributable to social media. That is an issue that is endemic in a much deeper level in society because that is a fake news issue tied to the news and not to the how you happen to be getting that news. It's certainly not specific to social media because it's all over the internet. It's all over, turn on Fox News and listen to the bullshit that they spew. Look, the president of the United States goes on television right now and tells on average 100 lies a day. You can't say that it's Facebook's responsibility to stop the lying anymore. Maybe we could have five years ago, before the last election, maybe they should have said, hey, this looks a little odd. Looks like we're getting all this you know, flow from outside the country, placing all these ads. Well, okay, hush, 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 let's just take the money. Clearly, I'm not saying that that was ethical or that that is ethical, but to expect technology companies to stop what is a much larger problem in society, the detachment that we're starting to have from truth is a bit of a stretch. I think that's a much larger sociological issue than than just social media based.
2: Do you think social media pushed it over? Like we were right at the precipice and now there's actually dispute about truths. Like there's no longer Mm -hmm. facts, which is ridiculous. I think maybe you put it in a better way. I think social media literally pushed us over that.
0: Social media is the accelerant at this point because It's, you know, as the curve keeps going forward, first we had newspapers, then we had television, then we had the internet, then we had cable news and the internet, and now we have social media. And each time the platform for how information gets put in front of us takes a step forward, it gets faster and brighter. It's more gas on the flame. To put it in your context, George, it's splitting symptoms from causation. The problem in my mind affecting society is that we're just we're fucking disengaging from truth like truth is stopping to matter is ceasing to matter right and i don't believe that's been created by social media i think social media because it's become in very quick time period the manner in which so many people are obtaining their information it appears to be at fault but it's the end point it's the end point it's not where the where the problem starts so i think that that's important now in terms of responsibility, you know, Steve, you said, I want to point out one word that you used a number of times, which I think you have to be very careful, because you said Facebook endorses these thoughts by allowing them to be on their platform. That's a really important word, because Facebook would tell you that they do not endorse in any way. They would tell you that they're just the platform. And when something hits their, you know, this was their, their initial stance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? but I think... I think can't he, be responsible he, for editing... And, well, no, and no, fact, not at all. Okay, but let me let me right. let me finish my thought because it, it is really it's really important, right? Because that word becomes very important. They would say we're not endorsing. The American government tried to put a throttle on it, Congress came back, they tried to crack down on them. Some level, I hope, of, of morality affected you know, the tiny little dark patch in the back of Zuckerberg's brain. And he felt a little bit bad for all the evil that he's projected around the world. And he said, OK, we should at least try to look like we're cracking down on some of this. And the instant they have tried to crack down on it, it becomes whichever side is putting that out says yeah. you're trampling on our freedom of speech rights the conservatives of the U S now say to Facebook, you're taking conservative information off Facebook and you're pro liberal. Whereas the liberals were saying four years ago, you put all this conservative shit on here and you're pro conservative, right? So they're stuck in the middle of the fight for, for, to a certain yeah. I mean, you just, this
3: is the thing when you put up your hands like that at my dinner table with our family. If I let the asshole boyfriend in, I'm endorsing it. If I permit somebody to speak a certain way, I'm endorsing it. I get that. Facebook says, you know, we're just a medium You know, people can use it. Well, no, no, that is that is verging on a distruth right there. Because by setting up a platform, you can choose when you get set out what you're going to allow and not allow. It's like churches. Well, hold on
0: though, Steve. Hold Uh, on.
3: What I'm getting at is, I think if you allow something to be used where it's going to reach people, you're endorsing what you permit to go on there.
0: Mm -hmm. What you're saying then is that Facebook, not to pick on them. It could be any of the platforms, right? But we use that as an right. example. What you're saying is Facebook is responsible for editing information for 3 no. billion people around the world?
3: No, no, not editing it.
0: But you're, what you're saying is that
3: whether it gets, where it gets whether if it they gets allow it on
0: their platform, they're responsible for it. So you're saying that they need to make decisions for every piece of information that goes on their platform, whether to allow it or disallow it. So they become the arbiter of right and wrong and truth in society. Facebook, non-elected, for-profit corporation controlled by one guy. Like, yeah. do you really want to give that power to one person in the world? No,
3: no, not now. But I think when we, if we would have backed up, like you guys said, and we did it together, and we agreed, yeah. you know, what kinds of ads should go on and what kind of groups <laughs> should be allowed to, to promote things, right? It's like when, you know, YouTube did it too. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, they gave us uh, $10 million to run these hate ads. Oh, we're just, a, we're just a free speech. You know, we're just promoting free speech. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Like, it's actual hate. Yeah, but... I, you can't put your hands in the air and say, oh, we're just the medium. You know, uh, you can't okay. blame us. No, you can. You can, actually.
0: Well, okay, but Steve, I, I think you're oversimplifying it, though, because I think your That's what you're I like to want, do. I know, I know, but I also know that your thinking comes from you want this to be an issue of right and wrong because you believe in right and wrong and you believe in good and evil. I believe in
3: consequences. I believe in consequences. That's what I believe in.
0: And that's fantastic. (laughs) And I'm not disputing that. I'm saying that for Facebook to try to be the decider on those issues may not be a possible and be the right way for society to go. Because look, they were dragged in front of Congress last week. Because they're trying to stop hate messaging on their platform. They've been trying desperately to stop dangerous misinformation put about trying in COVID. Quotes.
3: I'm going to put trying
0: in quotes. Steve, look, Twitter has a policy. Anything that violates what they consider to be hate crime gets flagged and it gets taken down immediately. Think about the fact that there are billions, billions of pieces of information that they're trying to run through that filter every day. It's maybe not a possible thing. But the other thing is, the instant they start trying to, they get hauled in front of Congress because whichever side oh, yeah. posted that is gonna say, fuck you, you've taken down my information. Right. You're, just, you're just choosing the other guy's side. Yeah, back
3: to a morality problem. Is right, what we have. so they're being yeah, yeah.
0: Told, they're being told with one hand you you have to control this and with the other hand they're being told you're <laughs> controlling it wrong. You're not doing it right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not saying I am not taking their side mm. by any means. Especially Facebook is a is a is a dark place. But
3: you know, when you start to say, Do you know how hard this is, we already know what kind of algorithms they're working with. I don't think basic on the technology they have, I don't think flagging things that we want to stop seeing is hard. Actually, I think it's quite easy now for for Google, for Facebook, for Apple.
0: I don't know, Steve. I think that's a little idealistic to think that an algorithm can intuitively tell whether a post is hate speech or whether it's truth. The pace at which machine learning has changed things, we're at the point where we have lost control over how machine learning actually feeds back into itself.
1: That's another pod,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, it's another pod, right? Because if you think about it, you know what Steve was saying, they, they, they have the ability to edit this and say, no, that's fucking hate speak. I'm not gonna put that online. But obviously that's a piece of software code that has to determine whether it's hate speech or not, because there's no possible way you have enough eyeballs on the planet to read every post before it goes up, right? So it's a piece of software you're relying on to make those decisions. It's not a human person. It's artificial intelligence.
3: We should be thinking idealistic when morality is involved. When yep. When yes, when, absolutely. Right? I think that's that's that's. But as I don't know that as you, as know you should
0: be. You, okay, you can you can aspire to that, but I don't know that yeah. you should necessarily mm-hmm. expect that to be reality. <laughs> no,
3: that's why we're perpetually disappointed.
0: Think of it this way, okay? Twitter put in place a policy to try to automatically block misinformation about COVID because they decided, look, we got to step in here. This is crazy. This is a global pandemic. Lives are at stake. We have to stop misinformation about COVID. They got dragged in front of Congress because half of the United States believes that drinking bleach and hydroxychloroquine and, you know, wearing a mask is bad for you the president of the United States tweets kept getting flagged by their (laughs) bot as fake news and being pulled off. Like literally, the president of the United States was censored
1: by Twitter. Yeah. Georgie, bring us back.
2: I think you're both right. It doesn't matter if it's hard. You should still do it less. So Mm -hmm. I don't want the most unsociable mannequin on earth, Zuck, to be responsible for social media. I think it's kind of funny that he's such an unsociable guy that he somehow rules social media. I think he's a weirdo. I think he's a smart guy. I think Steve is right. There is probably some way to do it. And you know what, it's tough shitless. I don't care if they need to get dragged in front of Congress, like this is it. This is their problem. They've created it. They've made a trillion dollars on it. And if it's gonna be tough yards for them to kind of figure it out over the next couple of years, too fucking bad. Okay, you get, got- get dragged in front of Congress, you make your arguments, you say, hey, you asked me to do this, we don't have it perfect but you could probably agree on a handful of things that are indisputable.
0: Okay, but George, I think you missed my point. I don't care if they're hauled in front of Congress either. I don't give a shit about Mark Zuckerberg or CEO of Twitter. I agree with you, even though it's hard, you should try to do it. I don't know that the solution is as easy as either of you guys think it is. Because they're not being dragged in front of Congress and being told do better. They're being dragged in front of Congress, where literally half the people are saying do this, and the other half of people are saying do that. And this is in, in the U.S. Congress. So they're in the middle of a political fight. The political fight is the problem. They have become just part of the machinery that's getting tossed around in the wash. From
2: Agreed. It's hard and it's confusing. And that's just too bad for them. Like, that, like I, I know it's not easy. I get it. I get the solution is not easy. But Steve is right. It doesn't matter if it's hard or if it's idealistic. You can't have people saying, "Well, oh my God, I'm trying to do something, and now I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm getting pulled up." You just say, "Well, that's too bad. This is the growing pains to a solution. It's not going to be mm-hmm. easy. And I don't give a fuck if half the Congress is with you or not. You still have to do it. You, and you do have the algorithm, and you. We can all agree." What, do you
0: mean? What, what does that statement mean? You do have the algorithm. What does that mean?
2: They have the algorithm. Facebook probably and Twitter can figure out. Some keyword or phrases. They certainly have the technology to flag things. And you're right. I actually don't want them to be the ultimate arbitrator. But but that's what you're saying. Part of the solution. I actually agree with you. they have to be part of the
0: solution. What you're saying is they have to do it, which makes them the the. No, no, they have to do something. Yeah, they have to participate in the solution. I think the most poignant quote in that entire documentary was technology is not the threat technology's ability to bring out the worst in society is the threat yeah technology has to be part of the solution but they're not the entire solution so if you think we're going to just sit back and say hey facebook and twitter you need to fix this it's not getting fixed that way yeah it's not getting fixed that
1: way yeah no i'm with you yeah a small agree to disagree but we all feel like something has to happen if we knew what that was, we could make a trillion dollars by, uh, by selling it to those companies and to, <laughs> to governments around the world. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but it is. I, I think that's a good point. You know, whether it's idealistic or moralistic or it's got to do with character, humans operate at the interface of technology, period. Yeah. That's the problem is when we diverge from values because it's convenient. Free speech is thrown in someone's face when they want to be able to do what they can when we bring up other values they go by the wayside yeah. the way back is what do we as a family as friends as a community want for ourselves and want for each other and how does that technology either reinforce and support that or diverge from that I think that's what we've got to be
0: looking at. nice one you can the inside you make you feel so small but I see your truth
1: We have all made social media posts at some point in our lives, most memorable one, one that you're embarrassed about, something in your past, in your social media world that comes to mind. Yeah, no, it's pretty easy. I applied for,
3: it was a comedy thing, like years ago, it must have been close to 10 years. And you had to post your entries online uh, through YouTube. I was just doing some weird dry comedy, it was an off day and you know, you guys know I used to dabble in that stuff. And it was terrible. I thought I had taken it down. And I had a CEO who actually said, we should go for drinks. And she goes, I came across this video where you seem really drunk and you're really naked. She showed me on her phone. And it's me sitting there, out of character of who I am, just bitching about stuff. And I was slow and I was kind of slurring. I wasn't drunk. It was part of my character. And I went, oh, my gosh. She's like, I'm worried about you. And I said, uh, yeah. So I had to go find it and take it down. But it was it was a bit embarrassing, uh, to be honest. But it was pretty funny, too, at the same time. <laughs> when I told her, I go, it was part of a competition. You could just see her
1: face. She didn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> she knew you had that line prepared.
2: You know what? I think I forgot that I thought we were going to predict the uh, US election,
1: so I hadn't Whip. thought about this. Whip. We're doing that after. That's a post pod. You should fucking read the notes, yeah. man. No, yeah. no,
2: you're right. He always
0: comes unprepared.
2: He has us too angry. I have like a like, white hot fury. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm an angry old man. You little bastards, get off that social media. <laughs> to tell you the truth, it might
1: actually be this platform. If I scroll through my Instagram
2: or Facebook, I've actually basically stopped posting anything on Facebook for yeah. you know years and years. I mostly put you know events with kids stuff like I clean my barbecue or you know I wash my street because I'm an old Portuguese guy like I I I sort of mostly take the piss out of myself on social media so I would think probably the most embarrassing thing because I've listened to all of our podcasts several times is probably this platform because when I'm with you I I (laughs) and I say stuff that I mean and I mean what I say and I know that some of it isn't politically correct. So it's probably <laughs> yeah. Snow Day Podcast is my biggest regret and my greatest <laughs>
3: uh-huh. That's awesome because, Georgie, I was going to say, based on other than mine, that there's probably some more coming based on uh, some of our initial episodes.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the podcast. This has been a pretty meaningful, fun project over the last three years. And we've yeah. kind of reconnected more than ever before. And without social media it was hopeless. That was our only promotional tool. And I mean, we all like other people to listen to it. Sure, we could have recorded these by ourselves and texted them to each other. But there's something cool about sending them out there. Lester, what do you got? I have a funny
0: Facebook story from a few years back because I'm like you guys. I have very little activity on social media anymore. I'm on Instagram to watch videos of George watering down (laughs) his driveway like a good Portuguese man. And, uh, you know, there's (laughs) <laughs> a bunch of people who I would never see pictures of their kids and whatnot if I didn't see them on Facebook. But my Facebook feed is basically posted with the Raptors. But I do have some connections with a bunch of old diving people on Facebook, which I keep in touch with that community a little bit, too. A couple of years back, there's a guy who, you know, and this predates you know all the technology that we have now, but he was the king of videotaping everything, and he would splice together videos, blooper reels, good wipeouts. Like he'd make these mixtapes of video for diving people. he was legendary for that. His name's Larry Flewelling out of Edmonton. Great guy. A few years ago he posted on Facebook a fantastically funny wipeout of mine from way <laughs> back when, a diving wipeout. And I was like, oh fuck, Larry got me. I got caught up in Larry's feed of, you know, hilarious looking diving wipeouts. So I saw it, I watched it a couple times, you know, I had a little bit of back and forth with my old diving buddies. A few nights later, I was out. I'd had some drinks. I go, dude, you gotta see this is hilarious. Like, look at this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Isn't this funny? We were killing ourselves laughing. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And the next morning I wake up, you know, I look at my phone and I see, you know, like you have 35 comments. So I'm like, oh, on what? On the video that you posted, I'm like, what? In my inebriated state, I had accidentally reposted it on my page, so I woke up to like all these comments and people just going like, "Oh, dude, like what the hell? I thought you were a good diver when you were." <laughs> like, yeah, not on that day apparently. So awesome. If you're friends with me on Facebook and you missed it, you dig back on my page somewhere. You'll find a pretty
1: uh, awesome. disastrous-looking attempt at, at diving from a number of years it. ago. <laughs> Mine, fellas, is kind of funny because just from a few weeks ago. I think I felt a little bit of the pull of social media for the first time in an almost going viral sense. And it was like in the most small way. But I posted a picture of that bike that I bought, the Omafeets. So a, a grandmother's bicycle from the Netherlands. There was a group in Winnipeg that brought a, a whole shipping container of these upright bicycles. And so Harold Smith and I bought one, brought it up to Thompson. And I posted a picture of it on the first snowy day and said, hey, this is my Omafeet. you know, first Canadian ride in the snow, next one of many, and posted it and shouted out a podcast. Why would you import
3: them all the way from the Netherlands? Well, it's the fact they aren't special at all. They're actually considered quite boring in the Netherlands, and you see them everywhere there. They're the most basic utilitarian bicycle, and everyone rides them, but they're extremely hard to come by in North America. When we think of cycling in North America, we think of the road commuter who leans forward on his high-tech bicycle, but this story isn't about him. I'm Aaron Riediger, and this is Plain Bicycle.
1: A Really cool podcast. One of my friends, Anders Swanson, is part of it. There was a group in Chicago that reposted that post. Then there was a reply in Hindi, another one in Russian. Uh, A group in Minneapolis retweeted it. It got so far outside of my circle that I thought, okay, this is crazy, right? Every other post I've ever made is the same as what you guys are talking about, right? It's a picture of me and the kids, and you get a bunch of comments from people that know you. But it was a little bit intoxicating to see how that went out, and people were excited to see this thing. Now, with that said, I didn't make another post or anything about my bike. I just kind of (laughs) let it end, but I could sort of see the draw of starting to look for some more of those kind of pictures and to get that recognition. That was mine. That's it, boys. That's the pod. I definitely have to go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right guys, okay. love everybody? you guys. love Wait. you, Bruce last yeah. George. Right, love dude.
3: you guys Hey, okay. talk to you later, guys.: my best We've always been together. fun day, around and laughing away. Just best
1: friends.: That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not at Snow Day Pod. Tell your friends. We've also got an email, Snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, social media Todd, producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison.
0: Hey, Brucey, it's Lester. I wanted to follow up with you. I know I was pretty hard on the documentary. I didn't really like it, and uh, (laughs) I think I was pretty clear on that. But I've actually done a little bit more research on the main guy in the documentary, the engineer from Google at the beginning named Tristan Harris. He is a really smart guy. He has some really interesting viewpoints, much deeper than what they touched on in the documentary. He's actually got his own podcast called Your Undivided Attention. That's worth a listen. I just thought I would give him a little bit of a plug because I may have been a little disrespectful to him when we recorded the pod. I still didn't like the documentary, but I do think that Tristan Harris and his podcast Undivided Attention is uh, worth a listen. All right, take that for what it's worth. Ciao.